got bored, so we started a podcast about the best bar band in the land, man. This is the Hood Rat Recap, and we are back. We are the steadiest stream of the unified scenes, all the news and reviews of the band you love, we love, called The Hold Steady. Hello, everybody. This is Upright Mike on the mic. I'm changing my name. That's right. I'm changing my name for this one episode. And as always, I am joined by the Unified Scene's own King of Queens, Gasper. Gasper, how are you doing today? Do you want to change your name today? Yeah, man. I've been trying to get people to call me Chuck Norris. You want to know why? Why is that, Gasper? Because I got that one-two punch. But it hasn't been going so good. Hmm. People have been calling me Hong Kong Fooey. So I think I'll just stick with Gasper King. <laughs> I think I'd rather you be missing in action. Oh, who's, <laughs> and speaking of new names, who we just heard the voice of. Uh, He's the voice of our producer and our third mic. It's Kevin is whenever. How are you doing, Kev? I am good. What's up, everybody? Glad to be back and look forward to talking a little lift of puller today. All right. So, so Mike, why don't you tell us the story of uh, of Upright Mike? Well, I, I got two reasons for it. You know, I, I take my uh, name uh, stage right, Mike, because I'm, I'm trying to sound like nightclub Dwight, which we're going to be talking some lifter puller today. But because I, I usually guard the right side of my stage at my job when we have concerts. Uh, and I did three D concerts in a row. We did uh, we did Duran Duran, which it's a casino. So we get the oldies. OK, folks, we did Duran Duran, which got rained out and kind of turned. It actually kind of turned into Woodstock 99, where people were barricading themselves in the uh, the porta potties. But that's another. I'll tell that story some other day. And then uh, then I did the Doobie Brothers. So that was the second D in a row. And now we're waiting on three doors down. So we, we got the we got all the D. Well, I guess they're not that's really a lot of D's. D's. Yeah, it's a lot of D's. So that's why I call myself Stage Right Mike, because I usually guard the right side, back side of the stage. But now today I've been Upright Mike, because uh, at my second job, I, I guard the upright uh, at the U.S. Bank Stadium for the Vikings. I guard the goalposts, because they don't guard themselves. Am I right, Kevin, is whenever? Do they guard <laughs> that, themselves? No one guards any goalposts and anything <laughs> that I've been. But I will say, funny enough, I did just see Duran Duran a month ago, and they were great. I'm sorry you got rained out. It was fun. Yeah, on the on the way home, I listened to their greatest hits, and I looked at myself in the rearview mirror, and I go, "That'll show them." No, just kidding. But, uh, <laughs> and then also, I, I call myself up. I'm still upright because I, I had a little race. Gasper, you saw my little race photo. Oh, I totally uh, forgot can about we talk this. about the race photo yes, real quick. Hundred percent. Because yeah. I saw the race photo too. And, and I thought we would call you No Shoes Mike today yeah. because did you lose your feet, like your sneakers while running? I've never seen anybody run. I mean, just a, a, so. I did. this maniac did a marathon with no shoes on. <laughs> I thought you got mugged because of the way you live. I thought maybe somebody come up and stole your sneakers and you're like, I'm going to finish this race. No, I didn't. I didn't tell you guys because I didn't tell anybody. Like my family barely knew about it. My girlfriend barely. She's like, "You really did that?" But, I, <laughs> but I, I trained to. I ran the Twin Cities Marathon barefoot, and I didn't tell anybody because I thought I might fail at it. So, <laughs> but I actually finished. I did all twenty six point two miles barefoot. Got in in under four hours, which was was pretty good for being nice. barefoot. Yeah. That's awesome. And yeah, you're right. I almost lost my feet. They were burning <laughs> at the end. I was like, uh, oh "Can I ask why?" And in true lifter. <laughs> Why? Why would you do that? Oh, well, because there's this new movement. Uh, do there's like a new book out called "Do Hard Things." I've, it's uh, like a lot of them have to do with like uh, cold weather therapy stuff, 
and they were um like i know adam carolla joe rogan all these guys talk about cold water therapy and uh and they they have like they jump into cold pools because but they live in california and we can't have unheated pools in minnesota because it would freeze up yeah so i started running to the mailbox uh barefoot and in january on the ice and snow and I, i got kind of a rush out of it it wasn't that far but i got kind of a rush running on the when it was 20 below barefoot out there so then i started training because they said so it's just this big thing like they said you can take up jog- running at six in the morning i go great i already do that and they go unless you're a runner because then you're used to it and it's not anything so then i said what can i do to do hard thing and, and then covid hit and all the races all the marathons and stuff got canceled so i started running barefoot because i was like there's nothing to train for so i started training to do that and here we are. <laughs> I, did. I didn't think I would make it, but I, I was meant to do it last year, and I just didn't get my training together, and I did it this year. That's pretty That's impressive. Amazing. I got to say, like, Congratulations. if I was going to start to do hard things, I might begin with, like, Sudoku or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I might go with standing up. Like, that. I'm running 26 <laughs> miles barefoot in under four hours. Yeah. That's I don't know impressive. if I would drive that. <laughs> Well, very. I don't drive a car barefoot. I'm not running. Now that's funny. When I drive around, I go. I look at the pavement. I'm just like an Indian staring at the pavement. I'm like, I could run this, and I go, No, that looks rough. I couldn't run that because when I was running, I was looking for the glossy parts in the road. You know, they're smoother. And I was running on the yellow line, and I was, I was singing uh, "White Lines" by Grandmaster Flash because I was running on the white line so much because it was smoother. And as always, as I was training for this, and today we're doing Lifter Polar, I was I was singing a Lifter Polar song because it was the Twin Cities Marathon, and I was I was singing the song that got cut from this album we're talking about today. It's called Math Is Money because the big line of the song is. That's the song I kept singing. In my head, as I was running the Twin Cities Marathon, yeah. I feel like this could be a hold steady song. Like, you know, you could be a character like Upright Mike likes to run marathons, <laughs> but he does them with no shoes. Shoes, shoes, shoes on. Like, shoes on. like just yeah, like, right, like just go. Like, I, I could feel it. I'm going to talk to Craig next time I see him. And- I respect the, <laughs> the Craig Finn karaoke the- there. By the way, that was very, very good. <laughs> Well, it did almost kill me. It did almost kill me. So. See? Perfect. That's what we want. My goal might be to write a whole verse about you barefoot before the next episode. <laughs> well, you did. You had a good rhyme going there. He runs marathons with no shoes on. That rhymes, right? Right. <laughs> well, I, if I had another line, I probably would write shoes. I, I will get there. I'll, I'll figure it out. All right, man, why don't we jump into this record? Awesome. Baby, ain't you heard about the night club? Called the nice nice. They got the tries and the night fights on every other Wednesday night. I can see all the stains in your white tights. When you stand in the black lights, down at the nice nice. We were born in these nightclubs and you make those propositions with your sexy little shoulder shrugs. All right, so 2000s. 22 years old. Fiestas and Fiascos, Lifter Polar's uh, final album. So we're coming at this from three different perspectives. Like, I was aware of Lifter Polar when they were around. I listened to the album a little bit. I mean, listened to it more after Hold Steady became famous. And then we have Gaspar. You listen to it after you listen to Hold Steady and Craig Finn solo. Right, yeah. This is basically me getting into the where the Hold Steady kind of came from. Um, that's how I looked at it. Uh, so I've definitely listened to 
the hold steady a lot more than I have if, of uh, Lifter Puller. But uh, I did enjoy the record. And then we have uh, Kevin is whenever gives us a third perspective. Where was was this your first uh, listen through, Kevin? It was. I, I didn't even know this record existed. And so when I got to listen to it, it was very interesting to hear the evolution of Craig from his earlier work to what would become the Hold Steady that I enjoy so much now. And it's it's a, it's a unique record in as much as some of the stuff you can hear where Hold Steady comes from. And there's other stuff I was just very much like, I don't know where this came from. I don't know who was on the most drugs in the room when they were recording. It was a very unique uh, album, but it all comes together because of the unique storytelling and some very short, short songs. I also did notice there's a lot of <laughs> mouth references, uh, which to me is unique because I, I was wondering if Craig maybe has an oral fetish somewhere because there is a lot of songs with talking about people's mouths and things you could do with your mouths and putting something in your mouth and, you know, and it's not just one song it's like three or four different songs make mouth references which is a lot on one <laughs> making record. money with your mouth and man park yeah i think that's a good i think this album was the first one where lifter puller this was their last album for all rights purposes i mean they had a couple reissues and stuff but this was the one where we kind of get the uh reoccurring story themes i mean we get the characters we get the eye patch guy is in a bunch of songs of course nightclub dwight He's kind of the protagonist, and he's in a bunch of songs. And then uh, I know they say Juanita, and I, I heard Katrina when well, their names are rhyme, but uh, I, I kind of heard those were the two female characters. Did you guys pick up on any other female characters reoccurring? Well, you got Candy, right? There's We're in Candy's room in the second uh, song, which um, – I read up a little bit about this, and it was kind of interesting. Um, do you know where the, the, the reference there, Mike? Yeah, it's Bruce Springsteen's song. Right. So I didn't pick up on that right away. Um, and what's cool about that is that's the the that, that little drum intro. It's the exact same drum intro from, from Candy's Room by the E Street Band. Um, so that got me listening to that song, looking to find like clues as to how these two songs relate, and they don't. <laughs> Besides the fact that it's the same name and the drum drum part, basically. I will say this about Candy's Room too, which was interesting. It's a, it's one of the shorter songs on the the album per se, but it has a very long droning keyboard outro for about 28 seconds at the end, which I noticed right away that there were some of the songs on the album that seem to have intros, Craig doing what Craig does, and then this weird sort of extended outro before the next song would start. And Candy's Room was one of them specifically that stood out, even on a first listen. Yeah, so this was the the first album with uh, Tad Kubler on, he played bass, you know, and then goes on to play guitar for the Hold Steady. But Steve, who was the, uh, I forgot his last name now, who's the guitarist, is he it's funny to watch him in concert because he has to put throw the guitar aside and jump on the keyboards he does the keyboards <laughs> and the guitar and um so he's kind of got the guitar kind of strangling him while he's doing the keyboards um and uh, what's his name again barone b-a-r-o-n-e yeah so steve barone he's the keyboardist and the guitarist and um like i was reading a pitchfork review of this album and they said i kind of agree with it they said he's got kind of an amateurish sound it sounds kind of like a John Carpenter soundtrack. Um, and I kind of like 
you know, I'm a big Franz fan, but I, I was really a fan of like the amateurs. It was more um experimental sound. I, you know, like you were saying, Kevin, how it goes in from one song to the next. It sounded very experimental, maybe a little amateurish, but I, I kind of liked it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think? I mean, it was a little new wavy to me and in, in that sound with some of that stuff, because, you know, back in the day, new wave used to do that with those weird changes and, and stuff. And it was I don't know if there was a lot of inspiration taken from that, because, you know, like Candy's Room is an, an exact sort of take from a Springsteen song, but it doesn't feel like the classic rock sound that the whole steady like the bar band sound that, you know, the whole steady became. This seemed a little more like you said experimental almost in a fusion type of way there's some really weird dissonant uh tones to it which you know is one of the things i felt made it different than a hold steady but there's definitely songs on there that like like nice nice i could see being a hold steady song and you know the way it plays out and and the arrangement reminded me more of a hold steady song than maybe some of the other songs right. on the like album. I, in in listening to Lifter Puller, I kind of look at Fiestas and Fiascos as like this is kind of the idea where Separation Sunday comes from, right? Like it's the same idea of like it's not quite a a concept record, but all these songs are happening in the same universe. It's the you know these reoccurring characters. They're not necessarily like tied together in a, in a tight story, but there is a story going on. Um, I think personally, I think separation Sunday does it a lot better than fiestas and fiascos does, but I also do enjoy picking up on that while I'm listening to the record and going like, Oh, wait a second. We, we already heard about the eye patch guy and, and like, like, well, Dwight keeps popping up and like, how do these songs connect? Um, which I think makes it fun. That's what I first liked about the hold steady. Um, it almost felt like a puzzle to, un- to solve, yeah, and I, I think, yeah, we got the reoccurring themes, and uh, I was just kind of, you are right, Kevin, one of the, the Lake Street is for Lovers is a minute six, uh, Cruised and Accused of Cruising is 137, some of these songs are really short, uh, Candy's Room's 154. Right. And that was the interesting thing about Candy's Room, because it, it stood out right away, it was one of the things I noticed before I even knew the the, the Springsteen tie-in was, for a minute and 54 there's a lot of what we might just call dead space in the song, you know, and it's a short record to begin with. And so maybe that was just a way to kind of make it longer, but especially in Candy's room, <clears throat> there's an extended outro. There's an extended outro and space humping 1999. Like for whatever reason, it was almost like, you know, you sometimes go see a band live and they'll play a song and the song ends and then they just have like a backing track pe- playing before they start the next song. And it almost felt like they were trying to do that on record where it was like, all right, while we're switching instruments or getting ready, we're just going to put something here instead of having the song. End. And then, you know, the songs just kind of run right into each other, but they don't really play off what happens before them. It just kind of becomes its own song. So what I took that keyboard part at the end of Candy's Room to mean is, and I don't know if I'm right here, but that happens right off the the last line where he's talking about nightclub Dwight and he says he puts the pipe up to his mouth, then he casually breathes. And this is just my opinion, is that he's highlighting that last line in the song. The um, He puts the pipe up to his mouth, then he casually breathes. Um, this idea of him smoking 
whatever drugs he's doing, the the crystal meth or the crack or whatever. I mean, you could smoke a few things, I suppose. Um, and they do specifically mention powder drugs a couple of times on the record. So that's why I'm kind of, my head is in that idea of crack or, or crystal meth. It does seem to be like a big deal that he's doing whatever he's doing from the pipe, right? Because um, I forget which song it is, but one girl pretty much gives the idea of like, this is why she doesn't really want anything to do with him because he's he's using this pipe. So that was my take on it. I mean, they do talk about an actual K-hole in a song <laughs> title, which is its own yes. drug in and yeah. of itself. Katrina so. in the K-hole. Katrina in the K-hole. Um, yeah, I really, I mean... I remember I used to listen to this at work and we were only allowed to have one earbud in and I would listen to the last song, um, the flex and the buff result. And it's when they start, um, you know, when the, the eye patch guy or whatever starts threatening that he's going to kill Dwight. And, um, when I would listen with one earplug on, I didn't have the sound side. So I would hear the, the music and it would sound like Charlie Brown's teacher. You could tell exactly what he was saying, but there was no words. You just hear the guitar. And I really thought that was a great effect. And um, I really, the same thing with that last song when, when, he's, when he gets to the part where he's threatening them, the flex and the buff result. Um, they're at the nightclub and you can hear the nightclub music in the background and then he slams the door. You can hear the door slam and then it's muffled and it sounds just like if you're listening to a night, nightclub behind the door. I really like that effect. Uh, it kind of brought you like into the room with them. Finally, the guy with the eye patch arrives. He was tripping wet with chip fists. He was half dead in dynamite. With a needle marked arms like the front man of some grunge band. A big straw hat and a liquid orange suntan. He cooled himself off with a Japanese hand fan. Motion for silence. And then he began, he said. And and that song is a very, it's a great narrative. Those I think it's three twenty one the length of that song. Like that song by itself is almost like a full story because you know from beginning to middle to end what's happening in that song. Like, and it's kind of ending with the destruction of the club and you know the they're going after him. They he stiffed them and it's time for the eye patch guy to collect and you know it's a it's sort of a full standalone story that if you had to take one song and kind of not be lost on the record, that that's one of the ones you could listen to as a standalone and kind of go, I know what's going yeah, on. Yeah. And like you were saying with the weird effects, and then at the end when, it, when he says the nightclub's going to be up in flames, it almost sounds like the speakers are like crackling and, you know, they start fading away and crackling in flames almost, which made a I thought joke, that was nice. Yeah. Close and then he spoke, he said, <laughs> You know, I also, it's an interesting thing I was going to ask you, Mike, because I don't know it because again, this was my first, but like, like a song like Lake Street is for lovers, which is probably my least favorite song on the record for all intents and purposes. Not that there's a lot there, but there's also a second voice on that song that's just rapping you like rapping in the background is that somebody of note was that just a friend is that another guy in the band i was very curious about fred armerson's band that's the lead singer from fred armerson's band what was his name what was their name again yeah trench mouth 
So that was the lead singer to Trenchmouth that did, did that. And they also had a song called Lifter Puller, which was a very reggae where they just kept saying Lifter Puller were basically the only lyrics they kept saying it over and over again. Yeah. It is interesting that on this record there is a a Lifter Puller <laughs> song title in their own album, which I always find interesting when bands do that. Like there's only a handful of bands that have successfully put themselves in a song and like this was lift a pull verse the end of the evening. <laughs> it's not quite a theme song though, right? The, <laughs> that, that song it's, I have a story about that song lifter polar versus the end of the evening. We know first Avenue, which is, you know, that's where me and Gasper met. That's when this whole venture, this whole podcast started. Um, that's the, for those of you that don't know, that's the, the bar in, uh, or the nightclub in Minneapolis where, with all the stars painted on it, it's got the prints. It's where Purple Rain, all the indoor scenes in Purple Rain were filmed there. And um, it closed in 2000. It went bankrupt in 2004. And it was just devastating. And the the mayor, R.T. Ryback, or whoever the mayor was, he had grown up going to First Avenue like everybody else. And he, uh, he declared it a uh, historical, what do you call that? You save it landmark. for a historical building that you landmark. Yes, historical mm-hmm. landmark. And so they saved it, and now it's doing. Now they own every nightclub in town. They, they're doing excellent now because I think the daughter bought it, and I think she lives in New York, and she's running it out of New York, which is really weird. But um, it's doing great. <laughs> but anyways, uh, th- they closed, and we we didn't know all that. We just knew they were closing, and the the employees they found out it was closing, and the, supposedly the last song they ever played was "Lifter Polar" versus the end of the evening. I don't know if that's true or not, but I, I heard it on a podcast and podcasts don't lie. So that, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's very cool. Yeah. Cool. And before we get off uh, Lake Street is for Lovers, just a little fun fact uh, that I had found. So according to, or at least this poster uh, says, according to Craig Finn, so he's given us a little bit of background about Lake Street. He says Lake Street runs all through Minneapolis from the really nice parts to the really lousy parts. And then he goes on to say that so Patrick Costello from Dylan Jafour was in the studio when they recorded the, the song and he came up with the title. He basically says you should call it Lake Street is for Lovers as a tongue-in-cheek reference to the Virginia is for Lovers tourism campaign. So little fun fact there. I also do, uh, I and it's just because I grew up as a, 80s rap guy for a couple of years. I do love in uh, Cruised and uh, and Accused of Cruising, where they make the LL Cool J reference for Juanita says I'm LL Cool J. Yeah, and, uh, and the way he plays with the lyric, where it's she said, "Hey, my name's Juanita, but the guys they call me LL Cool J because I've been here for years, and you can't call it a comeback." Like I thought that was a very you know something that Craig has come to do a lot in the hold steady, but. Hearing yeah. it that far back, that wordplay uh, was really fun because yeah. that old, some of those old LL Cool J records are some of my favorites. <laughs> and this, yeah, this isn't, I think it's To Live and Die in LBI, which is a, on a different album. That's where he makes the two live crew reference. So yeah, he <laughs> talks about the two live crew. Right. And that's the song that's the most hold steady-ish. I think you could take uh, To Live and Die in LBI. I think you could throw it right on... Uh, almost killed me and uh you wouldn't even notice a difference except they do say lifter that's also the song where they they call themselves out lifter polar where she's she said she could use some diet cola or at least a little lifter polar so yeah 
<laughs> and also in, in that song, besides, they also talk about getting drunk on, on Rum Punch and being at the arcade, and she she looked a little played. I think lyrically that might be my favorite song on the record, just because it felt most like Craig being in the that zone that we've kind of come to know him for in the way he can craft a story with these really, you know, uh, painted visuals that when you listen to it, you're like, I, I feel like I know this person. I feel like I know who this Juanita is. I think we all kind of listen to some of these songs, whether it's Hold Steady, Lift or Pull or whatever. You can pick out a person in your life that's like the person he's talking about, which makes it, right. you know, it makes the song sit better than some other bands that are just singing about random topics. She had a lion like mine, she had the jaws like a skill crane. And she was dripping wet with rum punch and hanging off the video games. Had some seaside arcade, you know she looked pretty bright. And we were bored on the boardwalk, so we just started talking and there's walls against Yeah, and, I, and like you, like you both said, I think this is the the best way to look at Lifter Puller to see where the Hold Steady came from, kind of their origin story. And when I see these Lifter Puller songs, or when I listen to them, I kind of like Craig's got the scene there. We got the underground scene, you know, with all these notorious characters, and he's got all this energy. It seems like he doesn't know where to place it yet, and sometimes the storylines get lost, and they're not as concise as they are later in the Hold Steady when he's in his thirties and maybe right. a better writer at that point. I mean, you could even see some references that get used later on. Like, so lie down on Lansdowne. We hear that again, right? That's the, the she lies down on Lansdowne and loses her left shoe for Boston. Right. That's, yeah. that's a lyric in the yeah, song. A lot of losing Boston. left shoes. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I mean, that's, it's the title of the song here. Um, and there was a couple of other spots where I picked up on that, where it's like you could see he was toying with a phrase, and we see the phrase again in another whole steady song. Yeah, doesn't in one of these songs he says, "People, I'm trying to get people to call me." Doesn't he say that in one of these songs? Or he, I know, or you know, so people call me. So he's already toying with the nicknames. He's like, "People call right. me something." In one of these songs, I can't remember, but I did want to ask you about while we were talking about lie down on Lansdowne. So it comes up here. He says, he's talking about the bars. He says, mostly it's 3-2 bars and scars and tar. That 3-2 reference comes up a couple of other times. There's a... I'm trying to meet you, dying to reach you. It's too late for liquor, but we could get some 3-2. We could always get some 3-2. We could always get some three two. Three two one. Are you still having fun? I was gonna ask you about that. You guys you guys get that reference? I don't, and I assumed it was a Minneapolis thing, which is why I'm deferring yes. to you. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> well, you know how every state has its crazy uh, liquor laws. Like I, I think in Pennsylvania, you have to buy beer across the street from alcohol from liquor. I don't know. Every state is so weird. In Minnesota, our weird one is uh, gas stations aren't allowed to sell full strength um, beer, so they have to sell it's three point two percent alcohol. 
so it's called three two <laughs> beer and so it's like it's, it's kind of towards the end of the evening when the when the liquor stores are closed you run to the gas station and that means you're getting desperate i think that's why he's saying we can always get some three two over and over again i think he's kind of the desperation kind of the walmart of beers <laughs> kind of situation yeah <laughs> so that's why it kind of worked for me and i was going to ask you guys if you knew what that meant because i didn't think yeah, that would went over my head no and it's funny in certain uh I just know from travels at work, there's certain, like Salt Lake City, because of the town and the elevation, their beer is lower alcohol by volume because the lack of oxygen gets you drunk quicker. So they sell (laughs) actually lower alcohol beer in certain cities because of that reason. And, And I just know from being in Utah, that was one of the places I remember. And Utah probably closes down at like 8 p.m. They're probably or something. I think they have a really early. They, they, they do. That I think that's more religious based than the actual thing. I think that's the the community laws. I wonder if they sell lower alcohol beer in Denver. That that'd be interesting because the elevation is pretty high there, right? But like they're also known for being a party town. So I don't know. <laughs> they might have bucked the system. Yes. <laughs> You know, another thing that while we're talking about this lift a puller record and, you know, it's something that as a whole steady fan, we've all come to know, but it was just fun to see it even back in 2000 before they had done it is the product placement that Craig likes to use in his songs. You know, if, if you remember like the original Wayne's World movie, when they were trying to sell the movie and they're like, here's the pizza box and here's this and like here and like, like take a song like Nice Nice where. He's singing about Bartles and James and Heffernoffer and Pantene and Visine, <laughs> like like all these name brands that he's name dropping. You would almost think like people were paying him to like put it in a song, <laughs> but yet here it's a song about like an after hour club and people being drunk. So it's like it's really kind of funny to see some of those references. But of course, then as a listener, you can relate because you know Bartles and James and you know right. Visine and you know Pantene. And it's, you know, it always makes me think like, he could be the best jingle writer in the world if he ever wanted to, because he's already talking about most of these brands anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, and then in his new solo career, like we talked about this, he's he always and you guys don't know this in New York. He always talks about Super America or SA, <laughs> and that's a gas that's a big gas station change. But then they they recently got changed over to Speedway is their name now, and he even references that in his new song. Right. What was that new song he has? This solo song. Oh. um, the, where it starts in the song has a time lapse and it starts out there walking to Super America for cigarettes. Shamrock and Sabrina. Sam, Shamrock and Sabrina, yeah. And then at the end, they walk to Speedway for cigarettes. So he even changed over time, he changed the brand. Yeah. yeah. He actually uses it as time like stamp, a, yeah, yeah. Like a passage of time. He, he, it's like he used as a device. Yeah. Interesting. And, and while you're talking about product naming, we get a, um, we get a lifter puller drink in touch my stuff uh much like we get our hold steady drinks throughout the song says so the gray goose and the gatorade which does <laughs> not sound tasty i don't know vodka gatorade <laughs> i might have to try that one time when i'm out electrolytes and uh... all right is there any other specific songs you want to get into yeah i was going to say one song we didn't talk about which was interesting because it also stood out to me was touch my stuff if if I'm right, that's the one. This almost feels like it could be like a Blink-22. Like it's pretty fast out of the gate. Oh, it's yeah. more upbeat than some of the other stuff on the album. You know, and it, like it, the first line, right, was like the West Side Story reference. 
So with the Jets and the Sharks. one of the ones where I was like, oh, this is a very interesting tune. And I think it also just stood out because it's the most uh, ag- aggressive and sort of, you know, upbeat, faster paced songs on on the on the record, probably over everything else that's going right. on. This one strikes me as the most hold steady of the songs that, that are on this record, which I know is weird to say. Like, I've I've had so many people over the years at shows tell me, like, yeah, this is my favorite whole steady song because it could have been a lifter puller song. So it's usually taken the other way, but you know, because we're coming late to the game. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to ask which uh, hold steady song do you think sounds the most lifter puller ish? To me, it's the early stuff. Like, I would think like Freddie Knuckles works the best, but um, hmm. that's really good. I'm one. trying to think of somebody told me. At a massive night show, I believe it was Denver Haircut, I think is what he said that he felt was, which I don't really hear. Yeah, Denver Haircut kind of has, it does sound a little like Lifter Polar because I kind of get lost. I kind of see what the storyline's about, but it kind of meanders and gets lost a few times on me. But <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I was going to say for my answer um, is Positive Jam because it has. That's kind of what I like about Lifter Puller, and I liked about that song Positive Jam. It's kind of like, and I thought their last album, Open Door Policy, where it's kind of Craig's kind of doing his beat poetry, and then they they answer, they kind of call back with the music, and then he he, he hits with the lyric, and then the guitar or the drum or whatever comes back at him, kind of answers him, and I kind of get that and right. and um, Positive Jam and. I also kind of always thought that like the songs that we get on the re-release of the records, so like Milk Crate Mosh is a good example. Like I think the reason it doesn't make the record is because they might have looked at it as like this is too much of a lifter puller song and not as much a hold steady song. Because that that one lifter puller is a little bit to me more stripped down than the hold steady, a little more lo-fi. Um, I know Kevin's made a few music references. I hear like a lot of Dinosaur Jr. in Lifter Puller. I don't know if that's just in my head, but that's how I hear Same it. time frame, um, right? Wouldn't that be the same time frame? Yeah. Right. You know, it's interesting too, going back to Touch My Stuff, because that's a song where you're talking about the Grey Goose and the Gatorade. But, you know, you have Candy's Room, which is clearly a Springsteen song. But and then in Touch My Stuff, they talk about going from... Uh, we did the goat head soup into the tattoo. You that's, that's a Rolling Stones reference because those are two Rolling Stones albums. So, you know, it's interesting how, and I'm going to imagine that the Rolling Stones somewhere were an influence or it's just a good part of the story, but the way they sort of, and and I feel like Craig does it better than anybody, the way you sort of talk about some of these things and, and going back to what I was saying before, it, it instantly pulls you into this world because most people know Tattoo You. That was like the big resurgent Rolling Stone record with Start Me Up on it, you know. And in the same song, 
uh, he's talking about uh, the Grey Goose and Gatorade, Black and Tans, you know, the Jets and the Sharks and the Bloods, which is all the West Side Story references. And it, and it's he kind of takes these pop culture notions that most people will know, but puts it into a song so that the character in the world that he's creating, which, as we talked about earlier, is sort of a running theme through every song on this album, uh, just becomes more for the listener to go, oh, I, I can relate to this, even if I'm not from. Yeah, I just pulled the know, lyric the from Touch My Stuff and it kind of everything we just touched about because it's even got the uh, the commercial reference. But he says the liberty, the ecstasy, the love, the drugs, the unity and the bus. They look just like the hey Kool-Aid commercial. So, I mean, he's got everything kind of in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right. And yeah. like that Rolling Stone reference, like that's it's almost like the the for Craig, the the Stones are like a touchstone to a you know, a, a period of music basically, right? Cuz we see that reference again, not in the same way, but in Adderall, right? Like, you know, if 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 she, you know, if she asks tell her that we opened for the Stones, it's her favorite band except for the Ramones. Like he could have picked any band there except for it rhymes very well with the Ramones. <laughs> but but like these are like we do see these references again, just used differently. Um, and I know it like so to your point about like putting the listener exactly where they need to be to understand these characters in probably the fewest words needed. Like I think when we, Kevin and I were talking about this last night. Um, in the very first song, in, in Lonely in a Limousine, he's got that line, and all these Chesterfield chicks, they hate the Camelites girls. And, like, that, to me, is it's so perfect. Like, it's in one sentence, he tells you exactly what's going on. Like, you got these two groups of girls that they're not getting along, and they're not getting along because of they're in this click and they're in that click. And, like, you know exactly who they are by what they're smoking, right? Like, the Chesterfield chicks are clearly like they, you know, they're, they're the ones that are a little more upscale or at least see themselves that way. The, the, the camel lights girls are the type of girls you can hang out in a bar and watch a football game with and might get into a fight with you, you know, <laughs> like that. And that's, he's so good at that with just a couple of words. That's, and that shows through in both lifter puller and the hold steady. You know, we should almost do a, contest for our listeners where it's like whoever can go in and count the pop culture reference numbers and get them right like we'll have to do it on our own i didn't do it in advance <laughs> but like because even in like space hump in 1999 he's talking about bombay gin there's gray goose Vod like alcohol is a very big part of this band <laughs> as we all know and you know there's a lot of things i was gonna ask you mike because i didn't know like is channel three a station in minnesota because like in new york we don't have a channel three and in space hump and they talk about channel three and being on the, the news there. And I, I wasn't sure if that's a channel by you. I thought it was a channel in New York. No. No, it's a dead channel. And, you know, when we were kids, that used to be the channel you'd put on when you want to play yeah. your Atari or whatever. Same here. Um, yeah. Same here. That's what <laughs> was it was. It? That's why it's interesting. We, we did, we, we had, that's the same thing we had in, but they talk about it. Yeah. So you're making fun, like it's a dead channel. Is that's because you can kind of read that into it. It's like channel three. I don't know. I almost like he was talking about a dead channel. <laughs> interesting. Maybe that's what it, maybe that's what they were going for in that one. But I noticed that, and I was like, I wonder if that's an actual station in Minnesota. <laughs> See, and now from that song, and also with like name dropping a product, 
like I I like to make bootleg T-shirts, and I take like a, a I'll usually take like a hold steady lyric and like build a theme around it. And if I were to do that for Lifter Puller, bring on the bed spins, bring on the mini thins is probably my favorite line from this song. <laughs> right. There's a lot of great. There's so many great. back to what we said a few times but just the pop cult chester fields and the camel lights and, and you know <clears throat> it's just these references because you know and like when you hear it right away you know the difference between the person who smokes a Chesterfield versus a camel light like I- i've seen people we've all seen people and you can right away get a visual of who that person is that's smoking those different type of cigarettes and you know that's why and that's right out of the box and, you know, lonely in a limousine. And it really sets a, a great sort of picture for the journey you're about to go on with these characters that they're creating through all of uh, fiestas and fiascos. Going back to Candy's room, uh, when he's talking about the nice, nice, he says, have you heard about the nice, nice? They got the dry ice and the knife fights on every other Wednesday night. Why, why wouldn't it be every Wednesday night? Why would it be every <laughs> Wednesday night? <laughs> And he said, I can see the stains in your white tights so that you know right away they have the uh, fluorescent lighting there. (laughs) Or the black lights, I should say. So just to do like more of a general thing, like, Mike, like what was going on in Minnesota when this was happening, when when Lifter Puller specifically was happening and like this time frame? So the late 90s, yeah, it was kind of, uh, when this was going on, it was kind of like we talked about last episode with Lauren. It was Dillinger 4 and um, I guess Trenchmouth, which I wasn't really familiar with them, but Fred Armisen's band and all those kind of bands were going on in the Twin Cities. They were kind of all hanging around the Triple Rock, which just recently, thats I saw Craig Finn do a show there the last week it was open. That has closed the Triple Rock. That was the big lifter polar bar. So, um and I got a selfie with him at that bar. Just like at the, that was the only time I ever got a selfie with him. So that was that week that it closed. So, so it was that kind of scene. It was I remember it was before the, before the internet was really cooking. So it was you'd look at the back of the city pages to see what bars were playing, what bands, and I would just see Lifter Polar like every. I mean, I remember them, and I can't remember anybody else. I just, you just see them so <laughs> often, like playing somewhere. So. Yeah. <laughs> Were they ever on the radio locally, Lifter Puller? Was it like a band that made whatever the local Minnesota no, station? No. <laughs> they were on Jenny Jones. Can you believe that? Because he was wow. they were friends with some producer on Jenny Jones and they the Jenny Jones show. And you can see that on YouTube. It's a really grainy video, really bad sound quality, but they played uh the Bears on Jenny Jones. <laughs> The, the bears the song the bears right. they played that on jenny jones i don't know why they paid that song that's that's got kind of a, a gay reference to it but yeah for for all of our listeners there's no correlation between jenny jones being canceled and lifter puller being booked on the show those were <laughs> separate instances <laughs> yeah 
And it's it's like what Craig said. He goes, uh, he goes, the hold steady is a better bar than lifter puller. But he goes, it would be. He goes, if you're going to make a movie, he goes, the lifter puller would be the better movie of the two. <laughs> <laughs> and so this record came out in 2000, and the first hold steady record was 2004, right? Is that correct? correct? So, yep. I mean, as sort of the the least knowledgeable, what was going on? Were they just taking a break from music? Were they was there something in between that between this and that that sort of maybe we should dive into next time? Yeah, I mean, if you listen to he kind of talks about it in Hold Steady songs. He went to he moved to New York in that time right. period, and then he got bored, so he started a band. <laughs> man, like, yeah, what song is that? He talks about it a little bit in his song. So, Lifter right? Puller breaks up after this record, I assume, because they don't hit the level of of popularity. I would say, like, success. Um, you know, they have a couple of records, uh, they had their run in Minneapolis and for whatever reason they break up, he moves to New York and gets a job. Um, I, at least this is how I remember him telling the story, you know, at a hold steady show and, and then eventually starts to hold steady, uh, when Tad comes to New York, right? Cause Tad is the only original member, um, who was in both bands. So that, that's your you get a four year break cause it's, it was basically a career change at that point, you know? And then he comes back to, yeah. And I, I don't think him and Tad knew it was going to be a band at that. Like, and going back to a uh, positive jam, I th- that how they kind of started was just Tad was just kind of jamming. And then uh, Craig would just kind of riff and that's kind of what you get on positive jam. And then, See, I always want to ask, I don't even think, do you think the band was named the Hold Steady before Positive Jam came out? Because it's like where he starts screaming Hold Steady at the end. I I think the band was named after that I agree with you. Or after they worked I agree with you. I think even um, when you look up, like, where does the name come from, it's it's accredited as being a reference in their song. So I, I, I think they do take the name from the reference in the song. But that would be an excellent question for Craig at some point to be like why the hold steady mm-hmm. <laughs> and according to online it looks like they they sort of state that the hold steady formed in 2003 and the first record was 2004 so it really wasn't a long break though between it's a it, lift it's about a three-year break and you it's, know it's you know which is there's bands now in in music that take three years between albums and they're not right. switching format so when you think about it and based on what mike was just saying the record came out he moves relocates and then creates a new band all in a time span of three years that's that's not really a long amount of time when you think about it so i don't i don't think you ever lost a musical bug you know maybe it was just a change of scenery well we know now that the change of scenery did them good because it brought the band that's the reason we're all sitting here talking about this and then on this podcast, the hold steady. Oh, I mean, they were releasing every eleven months. They would have a new. I mean, like I said, I I got into uh, uh, Separation Sunday, and then uh, Boys and Girls in America came out before I could even get acquainted with the songs on Separation. I mean, they were just cranking them out. I mean, right at the right. beginning there. I'm tr- so I'm just trying to think, like, just from a different perspective, what was going on for us when when mike was listening to lifter puller because that would have been late 90s to early 2000s that's pretty much well like we said 
That was a good period for music. Everything was going I mean, on. Yeah, yeah that was. So that. Di- from my end, it was it was Dinosaur Junior. It was um, a lot of weird, like we were calling it modern rock at the time, well, right? Like, it was uh, Rage Against the Machine. I mean, it, it, I don't know if you guys saw the Woodstock '99 documentary, but it was Corn. <laughs> we were at Woodstock '99. <laughs> No, we were at ni- we were at ninety four. We oh, we were at ninety four. That's right. We were at ninety four. We, we learned our lesson after <laughs> yeah. ninety four. Yeah, that's and the and the documentary doesn't talk about ninety four. I kind of remember ninety four <laughs> no. a lot more than ninety four was a very interesting. Yeah. We were at that one, and we we left Sunday morning early after watching Mike Dirt from Green Day get his teeth knocked out on stage <laughs> yeah. by security because he was covered in mud from the fans heaving mud at him that they thought he was a fan that jumped on stage and (laughs) tackled him, knocked his teeth out. And at that point we're like, I think it's time for us to go. And that we went, we packed up our stuff and we, we, we got out of there. It's the last band. That is by far the craziest. And we were home in time to watch the chili peppers (laughs) on TV that night. Cause I think the chili peppers closed that night and we, we were home in time to watch it on pay-per-view. Wow, they played ninety nine too because yeah. Flea was naked in ninety nine. As it, yeah, and that was and that they played too. fire as everything started burning in ninety nine, and they get a lot of heat for not sort of quelling the the crowd that they played into what was going on and made right. it worse. Now that that was so the the first Woodstock revival concert was like the weirdest concert we've ever been to. Like it, if I remember it correctly, by the second day, because the setup was basically like. It was a three-day festival. I forget how much we paid. It was like 300 bucks or something like that for the to be there for the whole thing. And like you get there mm-hmm. and you park your car in this field and then they drive you to the other field where the concert's happening and it's like miles away. You cannot walk from where you're seeing the concert to where the concert, to where your car is. And by the second day, like security quit. Like they had all these guys in their yellow t-shirts and – they just took them off and became part of the crowd. So it was a free for all like by day two. Um, and a lot of crazy stuff happened, but the, the mud stuff that he's referencing is there was the famous scene from the Woodstock movie where they, they're playing in the mud and that became a thing. Like in, in the movie they're playing in the mud because it rained and it rained the field out and they were all muddy at this show. They flooded the field with the water fountains and made what they they dubbed the mud people at this show. And and that was kind of the beginning of the end for that show. It kind of got really crazy. But do you remember, uh, Kev, when we were getting home, when we decided it was time to flee this concert? And and this is where I'm going with the story because it kind of feels like a hold steady story in a way. Um, We're literally like leaving this concert because we were like, this is going to get dangerous. Like someone's going to get hurt. And um, (laughs) we paid an off-duty cop to drive us back to – the um to where the, the cars were yeah to he had like this lot. minivan covered in like plastic so like we wouldn't get his seats all screwed up and um i think he charged us a hundred bucks to go back to the cars and he was like ah you know you guys are getting us at a good time because they told us we could charge whatever we want and the people who go later tonight are going to pay a hundred bucks each it's <laughs> like wow this is <laughs> yeah we, we paid a hundred dollars for the whole car and like and there was five of us, six of us. I mean, my then girlfriend at the time, my brother had come. Uh, her fr- like there was like five or six of us at the time, and it was a a unique 
unique. Uh, yeah, we could do a whole podcast on yeah, that we show. Could do a whole podcast on Woodstock. <laughs> that was definitely the weirdest experience ever. Um, that it was something. Yeah. Wow. And that's what I, yeah, the 99 just made like a brief one sentence reference to 94. And I was like, there was a lot happened in 94. And uh, yeah, 94 was a real tough show. And it's going back to what we're talking about, though. But like when you look at the music of 2000, like, you know, you had the new metal stuff with Corn and Limp Bizkit and that thing. You had pop where NSYNC was selling a million copies a year that same year. And like all of the, like th- those are those 2000s and like, you know, that was some of the best time for music because everything was playing together. Outcast was doing Stankonia. Like there was some really great ra- <laughs> Radiohead did Kid A. Like 2000 was some great, and great then, music. And it was all able to kind of be enjoyed. Like now it's way more segregated and way more, you know, th- that stuff doesn't did cross you guys over ever like it used to. But notice the Hold Steady came out with all the, the Hold Steady came out with the band. There was the Strokes. The shins, mm-hmm. the white stripes, the killers, the hives. The, yeah. there, there was a lot. Like, yeah, there was a lot of the bands. <laughs> that that was also a weird time for music too, because if you think about it, like, also at that same time, like, Green Jelly was very popular, right? Like the, mm-hmm. <laughs> the Three Little Pigs band. I don't you sit right back, and I, I may tell you. A tale, a tale of three little pigs and a big bad wolf. The three little pigs bad, right. And like, there's a few others that like were like Faith No More was even a little silly at that point, right? You had that that was like the beginning of the rap rock thing, and yeah, because it was sort of the end of the grunge phase, like that whole. I mean, grunge, of course, Pearl Jam and those bands were still famous, but like the impact was sort of gone by '99. Like Nirvana was already like moving on, and you know the. Uh, Bands like Alice in Chains, Stone Temple Pilots was on their fourth album, which, you know, was the beginning of the end of the popularity for them. Yeah, so 2000 was weird. And like pop was really becoming the big mainstream where Britney's and NSYNC's and Christine Aguilera were becoming, you know, household names. And the Spice Girls were, you know, there was a the 2000s were really a weird time. Creed was ending and, and you know, it was a. You know, there's a lot that went on in that right in that music space at that time. I remember Rolling Stone was they were getting desperate. You know, like what's going to replace? Because when grunge left, I mean, grunge was everything, and when it you know it came on so strong, and then when it left, there was that gaping hole. They said Prodigy was going to take yeah. that boy. Yep. It was gonna, like, Prodigy. yeah, like the whole electronica <laughs> thing. And it, it's interesting because, like, I wish I would have found the Hold Steady in early two thousands because I, I look back on early two thousands as Craig, uh, or at least the narrator, looks back on the eighties, where the two thousands almost killed me, and I do not recall them so fondly. Because, <laughs> like, what Kevin's talking about that that music, the, the he's right about the insane and the Britneys and that's what the radio stations were playing that's what was getting pushed and like I hate that music man <laughs> you know so like 
it's that's my new wave <laughs> that's the music that almost killed me yeah i mean even like when you think about like bands like pantera and you know metallica that was a lot of dead years and for those bands i mean pantera's main mm-hmm. records were already done metallica was in the the sort of load reload phase where many people are like what's going on here with these albums and well, you know that, it's that's uh where i got off the metallica right. bus so <laughs> you know it's uh yeah it's a it's an interesting year, and then here's this record that we've been talking about for the last 45 minutes. That sort of, you know, even in my world, I only f- listened to the other day, but like it was so under the radar. But you know, really, is sort of the birthplace for, you know, what's become a band that we all just love, and it, and it's interesting to see that evolution because I, I think we could all say if there was no lift or puller, there'd be no holds. I, I mean, it's it's clear that 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 experience that they put on those first records are what brought them to the records that we all kind of love and you know go out multiple times a year to go see that's that's probably a yeah good, and i think a good place to wrap it up yeah it's well said it's <laughs> what i do as a producer You know, this was a lot of fun. It gave us, you know, a good conversation, I think, for the three of us and, and hopefully for the listener. I think we should do this uh, across the board. We should do it for the Hold Steady and Craig Solo. And since we're a show that likes to roll dice, either because we're gamblers or because we just don't have a better way to pick things, uh, why don't you roll dice, Gasper, and we'll see. So if it's an odd number we'll make it a Craig Finn solo. And if it's an even number, we'll make it a hold steady album. All right. Let me get my dice out here. We could call this segment the dice dice segment. From there you go. Oh, there dice. you go. The dice <laughs> dice. I like it. Have, I have like you it. heard about the dice dice? All right. Let's see. Mm-hmm. We gotta, we're going to roll the die. All right. So I'm going to roll my die. And we said even's going to be the hold steady and odd is going to be Craig Finn, right? Okay. So I rolled a three. So right. we are going so with... So it is odd. All right. Craig so Finn Solo. My, all right. So all right. I'll take out the D6 again so we can... We're going to take out the D6 again so we can pick the Craig Finn record. And it's going to be record number two. Mike, what record is record number two? Ooh, so that would be the first album of his trilogy, and that would be Faith in the Future? All right. That is so correct. Nice. The next time we do this, we will all study up on faith in the future, and we will have another deep conversation. Awesome. awesome. And then after that, I think we'll be talking about Massive Nights. Yeah, that's Ooh. true. Um, yep, yep. I still got to book my flights. <laughs> our, our next episode will be Faith in the Future, and then the one after that, I think we'll all be out seeing some Massive Nights. So it'll be fun to circle back to some of the live stuff that we've done earlier. Absolutely. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this because, especially because, I mean, we we did not get the New York uh, Craig Finn show. Unfortunately, it got canceled. Um, I guess they, I don't know if they ever released who got COVID in the band. Um, I don't think Craig got sick, but one of the band members got sick uh, right before the Boston show, and I kind of saw it coming because they put out the announcement like 
due to unforeseen circumstances, the Boston show is canceled. And I, I me and Kevin were talking that night and I'm like, they're canceling the whole leg. And he's like, ah, you don't know. Maybe I'm like, no, it's going to happen. And sure enough, like two days later, they canceled the whole East coast leg. So no solo Craig Finn stuff. For us. Yeah. yeah. But he did play, um, Seth Meyers show. Seth Meyers. Did you guys catch that? That was, I thought it was a great performance at, we got Amarillo kid. Um, did you get a chance yeah. to see it, Mike? Yes, I, he's played Seth Meyers. I know he played God in Chicago, and he and he's done um, the Hold Steady's been on it at least twice. So I know he's been on Seth Meyers, a good friend of his. He's been on there quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Right. They actually, um, me, me and Mike were talking about this, so I was I, I caught it actually on YouTube the next day, and when you look up the uh, the performance, the next video that comes up in the in the YouTube rotation is them playing a couple of years back. They played uh, a song called Meet Me in the Lobby. And uh, Mike, why don't you tell the story behind that, the uh, the Meet Me in the Lobby song? Oh, that was, yeah, Seth Meyers' son was born in the lobby when they were waiting for the ambulance. I guess he was born in the lobby of the apartment they live, I think it was. And then right. so, and so then Craig, they, they wrote the song Meet Me in the Lobby. Yeah, and it's like a full-on I song. It's a you know good more... song. I yeah. he mentioned something about like he was doing like a show where he was doing a special about it or something like that. So this was supposed to be the theme song. Um, but if you haven't listened to the song yet, it's actually one that like I'd like them to play at a show. It's it's a full-on hold steady song about Seth Meyers' son being born in the lobby, but not really like in the way that they kind of like. Knowing the story behind it, you know what it's about. But if you did not know the story, you'd be like, "Yeah, Craig, Craig does his vagueness where it's like, <laughs> could be about I'm, anything." <laughs> yeah, where he's like, "I'm ready to come out now." So I opened my eyes and everybody was there or something. Yeah, so you can't really tell what it's about. Yeah. No, I haven't heard yeah. the song. Does he do his product placement where there's Pampers and formula in it? Because I would, if I had to, if I had to bet out of the box, that would have been a good go-to. I don't, I don't think he does, but I'll have to go back and look at oh, the lyrics. I'll have to look, go listen. I get a little impatient. Started out with the best laid plans, came in on a cloud of commotion. Touching your child and waiting around. Sick of this spinning these wheels. Kind of in a hurry, so maybe in the lobby. Here in New York City, everybody's always stupid busy. All right, man. So we're going to wrap it up there. I want to remind everybody, uh, please check us out on social media. You could find us uh, under the Hood Rat Recap at Facebook. Uh, you could also find us on Twitter at Hood Rat Recap, and you could send us an email at thehoodratrecap at gmail.com. We're also on Discord, uh, the Hood Rat Recap, so we'd love to hear from you. And uh, I'm Gasper, that's Kevin, that's Mike, and all of us guys, and all of you guys, we are all the Hood Rat Recap. Party, so